We're so glad that you've joined us today on the Relevant Church Podcast. There's so much God wants to do in and through you as you listen to this message. If you want to learn more about Relevant Church, visit us online at thisisrelevant.cc. All right, we're in this new series called Archetypes. We're diving into this new series called Archetypes. You guys excited about Archetypes in this new series? Archetypes, uh, what does archetype mean? What is an archetype? Uh, An archetype is a very typical example of a certain person or thing. It's a representative, a very close representative of something. An archetype is something that exemplifies something. It's an original that has been imitated. We're diving in this book of Philippians as we look at this concept of joy. What is joy? What does joy mean? How do we get joy? Who wants more joy in this room? I want more joy in this room. Can I tell you, don't ever become a preacher. Because whatever God gives you to preach about, you're going to live it. And I've been challenged with joy this week. I'm like, Lord, I'm switching the message. I'm going to switch about um, um, the woman. Nope, I don't want to be that neither. I'm going to preach about Solomon's riches. Amen. Praise God, somebody. So this book, Philippians, that we're going to study through, is going to take us about two months to go through it. We love expositional teaching here at Relevant Church. We love to go line by line, verse by verse. We do that even in regular topical message where we're talking about a theme, but then we, you know, we find a message of Scripture, and we love narrative preaching and going through the text line by line. But this time, we're going to take a book and just go through the entire book of Scripture. Again, three people excited. Amen. We're going to study how to develop and sustain joy. The the writer, Paul, he's an archetype of joy. Paul found joy in every circumstance of his life. Paul lived in joy even in the hardest circumstances of his life. And the reality, what I want to find out is how we all in this room, collectively as believers, can become the archetypes of joy. Because we can and show that even in the midst of this broken, busted, and disgusted world that's filled with misfortune, hardship, and trials, the joy can still be something that we walk in, represent, experience, and bring others into as well. So I'm going to pray one more time because we love prayer here at Relevant Church. And we'll dive in. God, this is your time. This is your word. Speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How many in this room uh, over these last two years caught COVID, who had COVID-19? Almost everybody in this room. How many of you guys actually isolated? Like, where you were like, man, I'm staying away from everybody. I'm going to stay in my room. I'm not going to talk to anybody. Everybody who didn't put your hand up but had COVID, y'all terrible human beings. (laughs) Y'all the ones infecting everybody. They're like, I don't believe in this COVID stuff. It ain't nothing but the flu. I'm going to the grocery store. Martin's wondering why all their people who work there are sick. It was because of you. How many of you guys um, actually uh, enjoyed your isolation? Like, man, I'm just loving this break away from people. Like, shut me down for another week. I want to get away. I don't got to deal with the kids. I don't have to cook dinner. I don't have to deal with my spouse. I can chill. How many of you guys hated your isolation? You're like, man, I just can't wait to get out. I just want to connect with people. I can tell most people at Relevant Church are introverts. (laughs) Because everybody was like, yep, I love my isolation. Keep me away from people. My story, man, I'll tell you, when I had COVID, I had it in November 2020, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. I didn't know what was going on with me. We're flying back again. We spent a lot of time in California. We were in Southern California, went out there for Thanksgiving, spent time with my sister, hung out with the whole family. At the airport, I just had this weird exhaustion that was ridiculous crazy exhaustion. Drove all the way from uh, San Diego to the airport and then drove all the way from Chicago back to Indiana. And and I went to sleep that night. I'm like, I don't know why I am so ridiculously exhausted. I woke up in the morning with like 103 fever. It was crazy. 
And so we went to the doctor because back in the day we didn't have those little home tests because we just didn't. So we went straight to the hospital, got my COVID test, came back that I was positive, and I ended up being held up in my room for a week. I was chilling. I was kicking it. I'm an introvert. Feet up. Getting fed. My wife was beautiful. She was bringing me food. But it was so hard because I couldn't be around my kids. And my sons would knock on the door, and we actually didn't tell them that I had COVID, because otherwise they'd have gone to school. You know how kids are. My dad's got COVID. <laughs> His friend's like, why are you at school? <laughs> Go back home. <laughs> so we didn't even tell them. We just said, dad isn't feeling well, so he's in the room. And I mean, literally, they would open the door, and they'll just sit there with a little puppy dog. Daddy, I just want to hug you. Can I hug? And it was so hard for me because I wanted to hug my kids. I wanted to, to be with my kids. I wanted to play with them. I wanted to enjoy time with them. And another thing, I, I enjoy work. As much as I'm an introvert, I'm also slightly a workaholic. I'm recovering. Hello, my name is Muta, and I'm a recovering alcohol. I mean, workaholic. 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 Where's Denver? Good. I'm glad he's not in this room because he would have tried to come after my life right in that moment. I couldn't wait to get back to work. I couldn't wait to hang out with our staff. I couldn't wait to be uh, around the church and, and all of that. I ended up missing a Sunday because of that. But the interesting happened, even though I was held up in the room, I was able to still experience joy. Although that I was stuck in this room away from everybody else, although I couldn't really interact with my kids the way I wanted to, I was able to still be in a state of joy. Why? Because I could still hear my kids' voices. I still saw my wife. I was able to have staff meeting with, with, with Zoom and, and connect to the staff. I was able to talk to my friends on FaceTime because I could still be in relationship even though I was in a situation where I couldn't be connected physically. Because relationships have a way of lifting our moods. Relationships have a way of springing up joy inside of us. I see when the students show up and they're doing their TikTok videos after church. We going to do one again, Allison? Well, maybe. Okay. They always wrote me into a TikTok video. I told them one day they're going to go viral and they need to tithe to the church. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Make a million dollars on TikTok and faithfully give to the church. But I see what happens when they're connected and they're having fun. I see you guys when you guys walk into church. And one of the most beautiful things uh, that we've experienced here at Relevant Church is after church, not everybody rushes out. People sit around and talk. They connect. They, they're in relationship because relationships produce joy. Oftentimes, uh, some of the staff and some of the leaders here, we will stay here. Church will be done by 12 o'clock, and we will be in the lobby until 2.30. Literally doing that. Hungry. Hungry. Talk about, man, I'm hungry. We need to go eat. But we just enjoy being with each other so much because relationships produce joy. They lift our spirits and our mood. And I'm going to tell you, if you've been struggling to find joy, if you've been having those moments where your, your life is up and down and you get into these lows where you're like, man, I just can't seem to tap into joy. I believe today's message is a call to refocus our attention on relationships. Even in the hardest of situation, you can stay in relationship. Philippians is an exposition of joy. It's really Paul, the writer Paul, is one of the greatest writers in Scripture. If you're unfamiliar with this guy, he used to be actually a persecutor of Christians. He wanted Christians dead. He wanted them in jail. He wanted them executed. In fact, he presided over the execution of one of the disciples. Uh, he held the coats of the people who stoned this man to death. He hated Christianity, but when God flooded into his heart, when Jesus Christ met him personally— his whole life flipped over because everything changes when we meet Jesus. And so Paul begins to go and travel and start planting churches, and Philippians is, is written to the church in Philippi. 
this area in northeast Greece where he planted a church on one of his missionary journeys. And what Philippians is, it's a letter to this church, and it's really an exposition of the joy that he has. He's writing a manifesto on how to live a life full of joy. And honestly, this is a guy who endured trial and hardship in every aspect of our life. If you've gone through something in life, if you're like, man, I've dealt with this, I've dealt with loss, I've, I've dealt with heartache, I've dealt with sickness, Paul's like, I got you trumped. In 2 Corinthians, I didn't ask the team to put this up, I just want you to hear Paul's life, his resume of ministry. Some of y'all hate y'all jobs. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I already saw it on your face. I said, somebody hate y'all job. You're like. This, this is what Paul says about his job. He says, I know I sound like a madman, but I've, ser- I've served Jesus and have experienced far more than some of these people share. He says, I've worked harder. I've been put in prison more often. I've been whipped times without number and faced death again and again. Imagine if that was your job. Unless you're in the military, this is probably not your job. He says, five different times, the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. And what it was is they had counted their, they had gotten so good at this punishment that at 40, you would die. They would bring you so close to the point of death. He was like, they gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I've traveled on many long journeys. I faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from Gentiles, people who I was trying to minister to, the people who I was trying to love on, the people who I was trying to look out for. These are the same people who are trying to kill me. He says, I face danger in cities, in the deserts, on the seas. I face danger from men who claim to be believers, but are not. Mm. That can be a whole word right there. I could preach a whole three-part message on that. Facing danger from men who claim to be believers, but are not. I've worked long and hard, enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. And then I love this. I love that. You can tell this. Paul's a preacher. Because he says, then besides all of this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. <laughs> I'm joking. Give me drama too. I thought for sure at church, they're going to be nice to me. Paul knows what it means to suffer. And then later on in another text, he shares about this thorn that was given to him, this thorn in his flesh. He calls it a messenger of Satan, something, some ailment, some, some situation that tormented him every single day so much that he would cry out to God and say, God, take this thing away from me. It just plagued him. He knew how to suffer. He knew how to deal with the hardest of times. Finally, church history tells us that the emperor Nero ends up beheading Paul. What a way to go out. He ends up beheaded, but yet he stays joyful. How did he do it? How do you stay joyful even in the craziest of times? How do you stay joyful even when there's tragedy that's striking? How do you stay joyful when things around you? What was his secret? Three times in this letter of Philippians, Paul says his joy is in the Lord. His joy is in the Lord. Such a simple text, but so profound. And then he goes on through this whole book of Philippians and breaks down what all of this actually means. uh, uh, Paul had two reasons. His confidence was in the sovereignty of God. No matter what situation was in, no matter what trial he faced, he knew God was in charge. What if we really truly believed that God was in charge of every situation? What if we really truly believe that the hardship that you're facing, God is sovereignly over, watching over you, taking care of you, and making sure that there's a way out? 
How would you approach life different? How would you approach parenting different, parents? How would you approach your job different? How would you approach relationships different? If you knew that God was sovereignly over every area of your life and did not miss a thing in your life, and he was not aloof, he was not ignoring you, he was not uh, disregarding your feelings and emotions, but he was saying, I've got this under control, and if you trust me, I will figure this out for you. I've already figured it out for you, and you will figure it out that I got you. The first thing that Paul had was confidence in the sovereignty of God, and then his second was his hope was in heaven. Paul knew that what took place on earth here is a light and momentary affliction. Light and momentary. Imagine if you understood that your trials in life were only light and momentary afflictions that build towards an incredible incredible experience of glory that was going to be on the other side of this life. You know that we all die. Some of us live life as if we're going to suffer forever. Some of us uh, live life and complain about life as if we're going to perpetually continue to live in this state of suffering. Like you're eternally stuck in this life. His hope was in heaven. His confidence was in the sovereignty of the Lord. He's writing this letter currently, right now, in jail. As he's writing this letter of joy, he's stuck in jail. He's been wrongfully accused. He's experienced beatings. He's had people turn his back on, their backs on him. His friends have deserted him. He's stuck in jail, chained to a Roman guard, not like the prisons that we have in America. He doesn't have a flat screen TV and a workout room and free health care. He is stuck next to a Roman guard, and I'm pretty sure they're changing them out every eight hours or every 12 hours. He can't get away, and they've told him, you are not allowed to preach the gospel publicly, because Paul going to preach the gospel whenever he wants to. In another scripture, we find out that one of his jailers ended up getting converted. His whole family got baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, because you can't shut up a Christian. His case is coming up shortly. He doesn't know whether he's, uh, what's going to happen after his trial, whether he's going to be acquitted or he's going to be beheaded. He has no clue what's happening. He's living in a state of turmoil. He's living in a state of, of tension, but yet he still has joy. Throughout the book of Philippians, Paul gives us a clue into why he was so joyful as well. Paul's joy had everything to do with his mindset and his focus. Why do we know that? Because over 10 times he uses the word mind throughout this book. He calls us back to how we think, what we believe, what we believe and, and think about certain things. He uses the word think five times and remember. So over 16 times he focuses on our minds. He says, listen, I'm going to show you a piece of how you can have joy. It's about what your mind is focused on. What are you thinking about? What's going on in your brain? What are you dwelling on? Where do your thoughts go? Can I tell you the difference of whether you have joy or not is going to be based on how you think. And there are just some negative people in this world. People just negative, negative for no reason. Y'all see these flags flying around? They're trying to hear the word of God, too. And you only got a day to live. They're like, I need Jesus. Preach the word, I'm finna die. The difference of whether you have joy or not is how you think. It's all about a mindset. Your outlook will always determine your outcome. You can have Paul who's gone through all of that, but because his mindset has shifted, 
Remember, this is the same guy who says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Your whole world shifted, shifts when you shift your mindset. And all these philosophers and modern-day psychologists want to talk about, like, you know, it's all about mindset. They just borrowing from the Bible. It's in the Word of God. Shift your mindset. Your outlook will determine your outcome. Scripture tells us this in Psalms. It says, as a man thinketh, so is he. What you focus your mind on is what you will become. If you're always complaining, your life will give you so much more to complain about. If you're always whining about how things are, things are going to get harder. Your mind is like, I like thinking about all these negative things. So, hey, let's see all the negative things in everything. I know because I'm a person who can be a very negative person. I can find negative in everything, Angie. It could be a sunny day outside, and I could just get mad because the wind hit me different. Oh, man, I mean, it's nice outside, but, I mean, I wish the wind was blowing a little more. Like, bro, just be happy. It's sunny outside. It's October. I can find the negative in everything. Our team will have a great event, and then I'll begin to pick it apart. Shush. Nobody asked you. <laughs> it's not a point for you to, I'm preaching this message. As a man thinketh, so is he. Philippians is then a Christian psychology book. Want to shift your mindset? Want to learn how to grow in joy? Want to learn how to take on a mind that, that, that produces fruit, joy, happiness, hope, diligence? Read the book of Philippians. Study the book of Philippians. In fact, that's what we're doing right now. So I got you. And it's based solely and solidly on biblical doctrine. This is not a shallow self-help book. This message series isn't about like three steps to getting your mind right and feeling better. This is not what this is about. This is not to tell you everything is going to be all right. As we can tell in Paul's life, everything was not all right. It wasn't gravy. And I, tell you, I was just telling this to somebody. Sometimes as Christians, we, we lie to people. Just become a Christian and your life will never be the same. It'll be, you'll have so much joy and happiness and it's going to be great, right? Doing Pastor Dwayne. When I became a Christian, my life got a little harder. <laughs> Got a little frustrating. I couldn't do the things I wanted to do. Because you know my life, my, my, my mind is bent on doing me. But now I got to do God. Uh, you know, my whole life was based on making me happy, despite what everybody else thinks. But now with God, I got to look to honor him. But can I tell you, on the other side of that is joy. It's peace. It's hope. It's not easy, but there's fruit on the other side of it. Wow. This book is going to help us understand the mind we must have if we're going to experience joy in a world filled with trouble. So jump with me as we spend these last few moments going through the first couple of verses of the book of Philippians. You guys feel like you're ready for this? Yeah. Ready to get some joy in your life? Yeah. Ready to shift your mindset? All right. Verse 1 and 2, it says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is writing this and he's including uh, his son in the faith, his mentee called Timothy. I don't know if Paul and Timothy are together right now. Oftentimes, Timothy was with Paul. He traveled with him. Uh, Timothy went and planted churches. He pastored churches that, that, that Paul planted. Uh, Timothy was his confidant. He is his partner in ministry. And just the son in the faith that he knew what he, he could rely on for anything. 
So he says, listen, Paul and Timothy, I don't know if Timothy's there. We know that, that Timothy had been jailed with him before, but, but he's saying like, hey, listen, I'm here talking to you through this lens of relationship off the beginning. It's Paul and Timothy. Now, typical introductions for Paul in letters was say, would always say, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ apostle of Jesus Christ. This time he shifts it. He says, a servant. A servant of Christ Jesus. This word servant means doulos. It actually means slave. So he's like, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. I'm a willing, humble slave of Jesus Christ. He's already giving clues about the mindset one must have if you're going to experience joy. And what he's telling you is, I'm about to unpack something over these next few words that I'm going to share over this whole book that's going to shift your mindset on how you need to show up if you want to experience joy. Number one, you've got to show up and be a servant. First lesson that we learned from here right off the bat, to master joy, you must master humility. And most of us are not in joy because we're prideful, because we want things to go our way. We want things to happen the way we want them. We get mad when things don't go our way, so we're constantly in turmoil and hardship because we never accept the fact that, hey, it happened, and there must be a reason why this happened. I'm just going to accept this humbly. He's writing to the believers in Philippi like I shared before. He's not just writing to the church. He's writing to everybody, the leaders, the servants, everybody who's serving in the church. Grace and peace, a common greeting. He's giving them well wishes. Hey, listen, I'm thinking about you guys. Grace and peace. I, I want well wishes to happen with you. I want you to be in grace. I want you to be in peace. So this is a regular greeting that he gives. We go on to verse number three. I thank my God. I love this text. I I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Verse 4, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who begun a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ, our Lord. He said, whenever you guys come to mind, every time I think of you, I go into a state of joy. Every time I think of you, I'm I'm made happy again. I I look at my circumstances and I'm saying, these don't matter. I'm, I'm, I'm actually overjoyed. Every time I remember you, these chains don't matter anymore. My imprisonment doesn't matter anymore because the memories of you flood me with a sense of hope. They flood me with a sense of joy. As he's praying for them, while he's praying, I don't know about you guys, have you ever just looked at pictures and think about the old days. Think about the memories. Maybe it was with a cousin or a family member, a parent, a grandparent, and you look at maybe you were out at the lake or maybe you were in the living room, and you just, these flood of, of memories of joy begin to just encompass your entire life. A smile breaks on your face. You look at pictures of hanging out last semester or last summer, and immediately your thought goes to a smile like, man, I remember the good times. You guys ever have that? Think about the times hanging out with your friends. Oh, this summer was great. That's what's happening to him. He was beaten. He was jailed in Philippi. Now, I want y'all to understand this. Philippi was not an easy place for him. He goes out there. He casts out demons. They get mad at him. They beat him. They jail him. They put him in prison because he was trying to preach the gospel. Yet, every time he thinks of Philippi, he's happy. I'm sorry. If I was in a place and I was trying to do right and all they did was do wrong to me, I am not thinking of them with joy. I'm like, hey, Philippians, I like y'all, but Philippi can kick rocks. (laughs) He only has good thoughts about them when they come to mind. They're not around him anymore. But he's still thinking good thoughts of them. I was compelled to ask this question. Are you the kind of person that brings joy to people's minds when you're not around? Are you the type of person that when people think of you, no matter their situation, they say, you know, at least I've got this person as a friend. At least I've got this person as a brother. At least I've got this person 
as a family member. Let me ask you another question. We're a new church plant, so we've been around only about six years. So some of you guys have gone to other churches and been in part of faith communities. Let me ask you a question. Are you the type of Christian who brings joy to your pastors, your former pastor's mind, when they think that the fact that you're not even there anymore? When your former pastor thinks about you, are they just like, man, I miss this person so much, and I am so glad that they're in this community of faith, the next community of faith that they've gone to, because I know the way they brought joy here, they're bringing joy there. He's like, I, I, because of your partnership, I, I, I'm always in every pair of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, partnership. They've been supporting him financially. They've been supporting him faithfully first day until now. They've been consistent. They've been serving alongside of him. They've been giving. They've been partnered with the ministry. They haven't been sitting on the sidelines. They've actually been in the game with him. And every time he thinks about them, he thinks about their consistency. They're not sometimey people. He, he's not talking to a group of church people that just love to come and spectate. He's talking about a, a group of people, a, a faith, group of faith believers who are coming alongside in mission with him. They partner. He's like, I'm thankful for your partnership. Y'all just didn't watch me work. Y'all got in the game. Y'all said, how can I serve? How can I sign up? How can we give? How can we partner with what's going on here? They're contributors, not consumers. In fact, here at Relevant Church, that is one of our core culture codes. We are contributors, not consumers. We want to raise up a faith community that passionately follows Jesus. Why? Because Jesus could have just consumed from heaven, but he decided to come and be a contributor and partner with God for the mercies and the glory of God. He's saying you guys aren't just pew huggers. They're consistent, not just in his presence, but they're also consistent in his, in, 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 when he's not around. Epaphroditus, one of the believers from Philippi, brings a gift over to Paul while he's in jail. And this individual is telling him about everything that's taking place, how mission is increasing, how people are still serving, even though their lead pastor's not even around. They haven't gotten lazy. They haven't just sat down like, well, look, we ain't got nobody to leave, so we're just going to sit down. This is what gives him joy. He has joy because he knows that the people he's serving alongside are serving with him. They're partnered with him. Let me ask you a question. Are you committed to the mission Sunday afternoon through Saturday night? Oh, we got quiet in here. Is your life lived under the missio day, the mission of God, from Sunday afternoon to Saturday night? Or are you a Christian only when you show up on Sunday morning? Are you a Sunday Christian? Do people around you know that you're a believer? Do people know that you are living out your faith? Do people around you know that you just don't talk about it on those nice tweets on Facebook and Instagram? but you're actually living this day in and day out, and people can come to you. People see the joy on your life. People see the joy that you walk with, and they're like, man, I want to get close to you because for some reason you carry a countenance that brings me joy. Or people showing up to church because, man, you know what? I don't know. You show up different Monday through Saturday, so I want to show up with you on Sunday because I need a piece of what you got. Watch this. The manifestation of gospel passion and partnership is only burst, sustained, and completed by the holy work of God as a result of one's complete, total surrender to the person and work of Jesus Christ. I'll read it again. The manifestation of gospel passion and partnership is only birthed, sustained, and completed by the holy work of God as a result of one's complete and total surrender to the person and work of Jesus Christ. 
Lesson number two, if you want to follow along, joy springs from partnership in ministry. Joy springs from partnership in ministry. That's why we emphasize serving and regroups here at Relevant Church. That's why we invite you to take part of the mission. That's why we just don't have church membership. I don't want to have church membership because I want to have team members. I'm on mission for God. We've got a, a charge to keep. We've got a mission to fulfill. I don't want just people who sit in the crowds and say, yes, I'm a member of this church. Yes, this is my church. No, I want people to say, no, yes, this is my mission. Yes, I'm a partner in ministry. Yes, I'm serving alongside. Yes, I'm going for God. And three of y'all clap. That proves something. A stagnant faith is a sad faith. A stagnant faith is a sad faith. You want to experience joy? Get on mission with God. Unless anybody here say, well, you know, we, we serve a lot and, and it's hard to serve. Yeah, it's hard because other people won't pick up the slack alongside with you. You know what makes serving fun? When all of us are in it. When we're all in. Can I tell you, Sunday mornings are hype. When we have our regroup, uh, our rally out there, our, our dream team rally. When people talk about their shirt and everybody's hustling and bustling. Can I be honest with y'all? Some of the greatest times we had as a church is when we were set up and tear down. Because when you get a building, everybody gets comfortable. Oh, we don't have to do anything. I don't have to go there early. I don't have to be there early. But there's an energy when everybody's arriving 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning, and there's things to do, and there's things that you got to set up. And tear down, you're bumping into people. You start joking and making fun of people, talking about somebody's weak and somebody's strong and somebody's moving slow. And it's just, there's this energy that happens. That's why teams produce such camaraderie. You want to teach your son, your daughter, how to grow and flourish in life. You get them on a team, right? And it's the same thing with ministry. Joy springs from partnership in ministry. It says God began the good work in them. He's going to be the one to complete it. You guys following me? He will be the one to finish and returns. This is not talking about the work that they're going to do is going to save them. No, the work that they're doing is going to sustain them. It's going to provide the joy and the energy as they live out this faith. When you begin to look at somebody else as more valuable, when you start to look at somebody else to serve them, all of a sudden there's a new life and a new energy that comes inside of you. Psychologists, secular psychologists say people who serve other people are some of the most joyful people in the world. Healthcare workers say that when somebody has a terminal illness, if they focus their minds on somebody else, looking out for somebody else and serving somebody else, they're more likely to get healed. Then when they just look internally and be like, oh, man, this sucks. I wish somebody would come and just talk to me. I told you we're going to have adult-level conversation moving forward. <laughs> People are like, man, he just, he's just, just coming at us. Verse 7 and 8, he says, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you all are partakers with me of grace, both in imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. So first, he has them in his mind. He's thinking about the people he's in relationship. Now he's telling them, I have you guys in my heart. It's just not a mind thing. It's in my heart. You guys are special to me in my heart. I hold you in my heart. Paul's love was not just talk. It was not just fluff. You know one of the things that I hate more than anything in this day? Everybody's like, oh, I love you, bro. Love you, love you, love you. As a pastor, I hate it when people tell me they love me. You know why? Because it's just a matter of time that love turns to hate. And oftentimes when people say, man, I just, I just love you, Pastor, I'm like, no, you've just got a fond affection for me right now. You've got a momentary fond affection until I say something that upsets you. Until I tell you, stop putting 
country over kingdom. That pisses people off. Until I start saying, hey, if you love me so much, why don't you get on team and start serving alongside with him? Oh, I just, I just don't have time. Jeez, he's always asking for too much. I thought you loved me. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is long-suffering. What he's telling me is like, man, the love that I have for you guys, it's just not a talk love. I'm in prison because of my love for you. I'm willing to die because of my love for you. He, he says, I yearn for you. Where's this verse, verse 8? I yearn for you with all affection of Christ Jesus. That word affection talks about the entrails of one's being. He says, I, I am so intimately connected. My love for you stirs up something physiologically inside of me that knits me and connects me to you guys that I am so dedicated to making sure that we stay in relationship in a way that glorifies and honors Jesus Christ. He says, you're partakers with me. They're not only financially supporting him, but uh, they are experiencing God's grace of provision and favor alongside of him. He's gone. He's in prison. He's in a whole different city. The church is going on, and they're still experiencing grace. They're still experiencing growth. They're still experiencing impact. Uh, the grace of God is not only on Paul as he's encouraged by what's taking place, but the grace of God is on them that they can continue to fulfill what he started. They're experiencing God's grace. They're also experiencing God's protection from discouragement. They can be discouraged. Their pastor is held up somewhere. He, they don't know if, whether he's going to live or die or what's going to take place. He doesn't know whether he's going to live or die, whether he's going to get acquitted. They're all in a tough situation, but everybody is experiencing the grace that overcomes discomfort and discouragement. They're staying hopeful. He's like, man, listen, you guys are staying hopeful like I am. Can I tell you, when we are in kingdom relationships, there's a unique grace upon the fellowship. There's a unique grace that happens when people are on mission together. There's a unique grace that takes place when people are committed to a single mind. We're going to serve Jesus Christ. We're going to help everybody discover that Jesus Christ is relevant. We're going to together passionately follow Jesus, love across boundaries, make a tangible difference in our community, regional world. And as we do this together, there's a unique grace that God pours on us. In fact, Scripture says this, how good and pleasant it is when God's people dwell in unity. He says it is an anointing of the Holy Spirit that moves on them. crazy thing is that he's like, man, you're even my partnership in prison. He may die, but he's maintaining a state of joy. And the interesting thing is here, as he's saying, you're my partner in, in imprisonment. Imprisonment was super shameful back in the day. It was, it was a shameful thing. And while other believers were questioning whether he deserved to be in prison or not, while people were like, I don't know if I could really kick it with Paul because he's in, he's in prison. Is he really guilty? Is he not guilty? All these things, all these words were going out. The Philippian church was like, hey, listen, we're going to stand with you. We're going to walk. We're going to continue to support your ministry. We're going to still walk alongside of you. No wonder he misses them. No wonder he's got such love and affection for them. You want to be around people who are with you. You want to be around people who you're on mission with. You want to be around people who are encouraging you in your times of struggle. Can I tell y'all, my last trip, I got, you know, I made a decision this week. I made a major decision that flips my and my wife's world and our family upside down. Made a decision this week. Made a decision that is going to affect the next few weeks, months, of my family's life. I was in Riverside, as some of you guys know, I've been the lead pastor here, but I've also served as the executive pastor for a relevant church in Riverside. So I spend about every month out there for about a week. The last time I was in Riverside for like two weeks, 
I just missed the heck out of Relevant Church. Now, like there was just, there was a fond affection. There was such, there was, that thing that he says, I yearn for you with my entrails, with the whole, I was physically sick thinking about how much I miss you guys so much. I was like, I just want to be home. I missed two Sundays and I'm like, this ain't right. I just want to go home. And so this week, I said, man, listen, it's been a great two years serving in Riverside. So as of last week, Tuesday, I resigned my position at Relevant Riverside so I could just be here. So I can be here and be connected and not have to leave. There was this feeling of like, I just, I, I just got to be home. Thank you, Angie. But that was half of my income, y'all. Lord bless the future. You want to be around people who are with you. And me and my wife and our family, Relevant Church, we've walked through some things. Hardships, toil. We're asking for a Christmas miracle now. But there's no place I'd rather be than right here, standing on this platform in Niles, Michigan, <laughs> with this amazing church called Relevant. So let's finish this up. Let's finish this up. Verse 9, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for day of Christ, filled with fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. He says, I, I want your love to abound more and more. This love, this, this love that he uses here, as you guys know in Greek, there's multiple uses of the word love. You've got eros love, which is the erotic love, love between lovers. Like, I got eros love, my pretty young thing right there. <laughs> Want to go eros, girl. <laughs> then you've got filio love, which is a brotherly love. The love that I have for my brother Dustin and the love that I have for my brother Lewis in Denver and, and all these brothers around here. Uh, I see Joe in the front row. This, this filio love, this is my brother's. We do life together. When I see Jim, I got this filial lover. I love Jim. And then there's a word agape. And this is the word that he uses here. This is an empathetic love, an affection, a benevolent love. Agape is a love that honors and serves other people. He says, I want you guys to grow in the love that keeps you looking outward and not selfishly. I want you to grow in this love that serves others, that looks to others, to build up others. And he's setting this all up for chapter two. All the overachievers going to go read chapter two after today. Like, oh, what is he setting this up for? Spoiler alert. He says, I want your love for God and your love for Jesus and the community of faith to swell and to sustain. I want you to grow in your connection and your love for the local church. I want your love and your desire to serve and be a partner in ministry to continue to grow and multiply. He goes and said, with knowledge and all discernment, knowledge, not just an intellectual knowledge, not just to know that God is love, not just to know that, that God is faithful, not just to know that, hey, you know, I love you because you serve alongside of me. He says, no, 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 I want this to be an experiential love. Experience only through partnership with God in serving others. He wants them to grow in discernment. He wants them to know what, what's from God and what's not from God. He wants them to know how to love better. How, how can I love my brother better? How can I stand in the gap for my sister better? How can I come alongside my community better? How can I come alongside God's people better? How do I push the mission forward? What's priority? Is my kids game the priority or is mission priority? Oh, I went somewhere. Let me see. He 
He wants them to grow in Christian maturity. Can I make a harsh statement? He wants them to grow in Christian maturity because most Christian wants to stay shallow because that's how you avoid commitment. Most Christians want to stay shallow because that's how you avoid commitment. I remember somebody saying something to me as we were talking about mission, the mission of God, and talking about going deep in faith and deep in the word of God. They said, man, I just want a simple faith. I think sometimes we just go too deep at church. I just want a simple faith. A.K.A., I'd rather just spend time reading Psalms and get the comfort than actually go into Romans and the epistles that convicts me to actually get up and live this thing out. He says, I want you to grow in Christian maturity. I want you to grow in knowledge and discernment. It's time to get off the milk. I want you to start eating the meat. I want you to start getting sustained because as you grow, as your body grows, you cannot just survive on milk. You're going to have to start eating substance that's going to be able to give you nutrients that keeps your whole body. Because Christian maturity will determine your disposition in favor or trial, in opportunity or misfortune, in truth or or folly. Christian maturity will also help you choose what's excellent, what's right, and what's holy. Band, you can come back up. Why does he want them to focus on what's pure and holy? So you are blameless for the day of Jesus Christ. He says, listen, I want you guys to grow in Christian maturity. I want you guys to understand Knowledge more than just intellectually, but I want it to move into action. I want you to learn discernment so you can prioritize what's more important. Your career or Christ. Your leisure or the Lord. Your comfort or the cross. I want you to understand how to prioritize the kingdom of heaven. And I want you to guys to bring the kingdom of heaven here on earth so that you can make excellent decisions. Thank you again for joining us on the Relevant Church podcast. If this message has been impactful to you, let us know by sending an email to hello at thisisrelevant.cc. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by investing at giving.thisisrelevant.cc. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for more messages like this one.